home as a very home as a concept has a very powerful evocative quality for us I think it's something that we can invest with a considerable degree of significance and it's something which is uh, perhaps a reference point for us in language from very early on in our lives I remember myself the uh, first time when I was just reflecting earlier the first time I can remember having a, a yearning for home um, so perhaps there were earlier moments but it was the first time I saw snow and it wasn't just that snow came to where I lived but we actually went on a, hmm, I guess it was an hour or two's journey driving to the mountain where snow would be found and we were very little and very excited couldn't wait to see this stuff and uh, <clears throat> I remember getting out of the car my brother and sister and my father and running off into the snow very excited and starting to do the things that little children do with snow like you know pick it up and throw it and all too quickly however what I remember is my feet becoming very cold and having spent the best part of this two hour journey saying dad when are we going to get there dad when do we get to the snow we want to see the snow dad after about five minutes there we were saying oh, I remember this very strong memory is I want to go home I want to go home take me home get me home and um, it's kind of sweet and kind of tragic at the same time really to remember this little being that I once was um, that perhaps isn't so far removed from something we experience even in our adult life we have a sense of what home means for us it represents perhaps uh, safety, warmth, ease, comfort, rest a sense of our own place where we know where things are where we feel confident in our right to be there home can represent a lot of different things for us and we can also have a sense of loss with regard to that sense of loss perhaps of those qualities that home represents for us not being as fully in our life as we would wish or a sense <coughs> perhaps not perhaps not so specifically articulated but nonetheless underlying our our experience in life of, of somehow just not being at home of somehow feeling we don't quite fit this isn't quite our place this isn't quite somewhere where we feel safe or at ease able to rest and relax and so we look we look for this we look for what we could call home to wish to come home, to arrive in that place or condition or situation where we do feel safe, where we do feel we have a right to be there and yet this 
process of looking, looking for somewhere to come home to, looking for the place that will be our home, can be a rather challenging process. And in some ways this is the process of our life. We can be looking in the realm of our material world for home. It could be in the form of a house, the kind of house we like. And no matter what house we've got, it does always seem that there's some way in which it's not quite the house we wish we had. Even if we should be fortunate to get the house that we wished we had when we were in the previous house, it doesn't take that much time there before we realise there's still a few things not quite the way we want them. And of course, it's not just to do with house, but the whole sense of the material world, being at home in the material world, finding our job, relationship, family, location, activities, engagement, all of that can be something we seek for a sense of home within. We can equally seek in the realm of spiritual experience, seeking to find our home in a particular meditative experience. Maybe we've read about it in books. We've come hoping for that calm, blissful feeling, or that open, spacious, connected feeling that we've heard about. And we think, oh, if I can arrive here, then that will be like really arriving. That will be like really coming home. And it may be for some time, if we should be so fortunate that this would feel indeed to be just that, coming home, that arrival. And yet it is the characteristic of all such situations, of all such experiences, whether material or more, we could say, refined, rarefied, spiritual even, that experiences in themselves cannot provide us a lasting home because what we notice as we, as we look, as we go through this process of looking is that no matter where we arrive, somehow it seems that that place does not do it for us. Somehow we're constantly looking and moving on. We may have been doing this for years and years and years. And yet the very act of doing it seems to be continuing, seems to actually not come to an end. Looking for something that we feel drawn to, looking for something that we may not quite know what it is, but that we only know that this is not it. This we see more clearly that what we have found or where we are or the situation that we're in or who we feel ourselves to be somehow feels not to be it. And yet we keep looking. We keep looking in this way. It's a little bit like the story. It's one of my favourite stories that I like to share often of uh, the Sufi teaching figure, Mullah Nasruddin, who's uh, both a wise man and a fool, or so it seems. <coughs> and uh, one day Nasruddin is sitting in the uh, edge of the village square on market day and uh, he has in front of him a large pile of red hot chilli 
He's picking them up and eating them one at a time. His face is bright red, his nose is running, his eyes are streaming. He's obviously in a lot of distress. And one of his friends comes up to him and says, Mullah, Mullah, what are you doing? Nazarin responds, I'm eating these chilies. Picks up another one, bites into it, and his whole body shakes with the intense heat. And his friend says, I can see you're eating these chilies, Nazarin. Why? Why are you eating them? Nazarin responds, he says, I keep hoping to find a sweet one. It's like we we see chilies are perfectly fine things. They have their place, of course, we know that. But if we seek for them to be other than what they are or to do something that they can't do, they're great in curry. But they're not so good for sweetness. This is kind of simple. And yet, in our life, the realm of experience is characterized by the fact that it is changing and it is not in our control. The realm of experience, by that virtue or by that characteristic, is unable to hold for us the framework of what we would seek as home, as a place to come to rest. Because nowhere, no matter where or how we might configure our world, no matter what circumstances we might get, jobs, houses, friends, places, clothes, cars, possessions, or through wealth beyond that we realise that these things are important and necessary but not really where we're going to find our happiness. We may again, still looking to the idea of experiences, spiritual experiences as I said before, that somehow when we get the right one, when my mind is calm and clear, when my body is relaxed, when I get four breaths in a row, when I can actually complete the whole length of the walking path without spacing out, we start to think in these terms, when I get to this place, then this will be the place of rest or of success. Or we could say we could arrive at home in that place. <coughs> But none of those places last. None of those conditions last. We have a few breaths in a row and we think, finally, finally I'm starting to get what this is all about. Wow, that's three, four, five breaths. I'm really doing it. Gosh, I haven't had a thought for at least... And then we realise that we're thinking about it and we've stopped paying attention to our breath. And we realise that we're gone already again. So excited by having managed to be present that we lost it completely. This is kind of natural. This is kind of what happens for us. And in a way that's part of the process of developing our capacity to be present, but it's equally another illustration of the way that things are constantly changing. Things are constantly moving. And there's something kind of endearing almost in our looking, in our seeking in this way for the sweet chilli. But there's also something kind of painful for us. Because it, it feels like if we're doing this, and this is what we're supposed to be doing to be happy, to be at peace, to come to rest in our life, and it's not working, then maybe there's something wrong with me. 
and often we carry this is that actually a very deep and painful fear or even view of ourselves there's something wrong with me because it's not working when in fact it's perhaps simply because we haven't yet really learned we haven't been taught no one has told us we haven't been shown in our own experience through our life what truly leads to happiness what truly leads to the end of suffering what it truly means to come home <coughs> the Noah illustration of um, our relationship to home and how we tend to relate to it is I think quite probably deeply etched into all of our minds through the uh, fairy tale of the three well the fairy tale the children's story of the three little pigs you know building their houses building their homes made of straw and of wood and of stone and how the you know the big bad wolf blows down the straw house and blows down the wood house he can't blow down the stone house, fortunately, so it's got a happy ending, which is what we like when we're little. And then we're out there looking for the house made of stone, that thing that's solid, that's defensible, that's reliable, that's safe for us inside us. And yet the houses we find tend to be houses of straw, houses of sticks. They don't stand up against the winds of the world. Is this something you've noticed in your life at all? Because it's not something that's supposed to be bad news. Like, gosh, actually things are unreliable and changing. You might as well be really miserable now. Because there's not any other option. It's more like saying, okay, if this is how it is, you know, we sometimes think, you know, if I find the right person. You know, lovely if we find a person who we get on with and we could even live with, maybe be in a family with, but boy, it's a lot of work and you know the fairy tale of the right person doesn't do it for us I mean we still have to find our own way we still have to live our own life so the sense of looking the sense of looking this is something we need to explore because there's something that's true in it there's something true in that search and that is what's true is that we are somehow not in touch with that sense of being at home we're not necessarily in touch with that but how we've interpreted that experience how we've responded to it may not be as true or as accurately reflecting our life or the way life really is so <coughs> What happens when we engage in meditation practice? You may think, if someone were to ask you, what did we do on the retreat? Maybe you've even had this conversation with yourself in your mind already. What are you going to tell your friends? They're wondering, what are you doing? Going on this retreat, it sounds really weird, bizarre, strange. And you know, you, you've already realised that if your friends happen to be watching people walking slowly back and forth outside, they'd, be right, they'd think, I was right. It is weird, it is bizarre, it is strange. But if you were asked, what were we doing there? Probably many people would say, I was trying to watch my breath and failing most of the time. And actually, although that's what you've been invited to do, what we're really doing is coming to see our mind. Coming to see our mind and how it is 
and what it does and what it's actually like and equally coming to understand and hopefully discover for ourselves the capacity we have to simply be conscious in our life in the presence of our mind, our body and the world with all its complications and confusions its challenges and disappointments and to discover what that simple presence has to reveal but in seeing our mind, what do we see? what do we see that's often so disappointing we heard the instructions, we thought, oh good, what I'm going to do is pay mindful attention to my breath I've been told it's going to make for feeling harm feeling sort of a sense of harmony, being connected, being present, it all sounds good, maybe it's even the way home and all of that, but what we actually see much of the time is we're not in that condition, we're in our mind in the reactivity, in the habitual patterns of behaviour that our mind has become established in through I guess we could say years of neglect, we haven't paid attention Another teacher I was teaching with recently commented, she said, now people spend a lot more time taking care of cleaning their car. Every Sunday you see them out there working on their car, cleaning them. But how much attention, how much care do we take of our minds? And it's so much more important. I mean, we have to go to work in our car. But we go through our whole life with this mind. So what do we see? We see how much our mind is looking seeking after, chasing for things, a sense of craving, of wanting things wanting something, wanting something better, wanting something nice, wanting food wondering what's going to be for lunch, you know, the highlight of the day on a meditation retreat feed me, feed me and then of course at the same time as we're wanting and hoping it's going to be something nice we're equally at times full of fear because what if it's not? You know, what, if, what if it's something sort of that I don't like and there's no choice it's not like I can go to the refrigerator I'm stuck with whatever they serve me we're a little bit vulnerable and out of control here it could be scary of course it could be somewhat larger issues of our life that the mind is moving towards or away from noticing that movement towards and away from notice how the mind moves it's relentless isn't it? any moment that we're not really able to be present wow the mind goes off on a journey and it's not easy to actually have to sit down and face that it's not good news at one level we think I don't want to see this this wasn't what I signed up for they didn't say in the meditation brochure to come along and watch your mind go crazy for hours on end if we did probably people wouldn't come so much <laughs> now we hear things about peace and wisdom and compassion you know what's all this got to do with that well <coughs> seeing that your mind does this hopefully is a wake up call not to judge yourself or blame yourself for the fact that it's this way but to say well do I really want to live my life with a mind in this condition because the simple process of seeing feeling at times how it's uncomfortable to be caught up in it we think <coughs> it shouldn't be happening often we think it shouldn't be happening my mind shouldn't be doing this I'm supposed to be with my breath I'm supposed to be mindfully walking <coughs> no one has said that to you the instructions have not told you you should not have thoughts or your mind should not wander away it, the instructions have said notice when that happens and come back but because it's so unpleasant and painful 
we overlay our own interpretation for the instructions which says it shouldn't be happening. It's wrong, it's bad, it's a mistake, it's horrible. Make it stop. And yet we can't. We're in this bind. Bound, it seems, to our mind. And yet we're not ultimately bound in that way. It's not just, of course, that movement of desire and craving, moving towards, seeking out for things, for experiences, or moving away, fear, aversion, that can take both immediate situations or past or future as its object. Equally, we notice at times restlessness while we're here on retreat. We can feel we're sort of antsy, sort of shuffling, shifting, moving, nowhere's quite comfortable. Or if, at least, if it's not quite our body, you know, ants in the pants, I think is the expression for it. Maybe it's not our body, but it's our mind. We can see it's going here, it's going there. It's not particularly after something in specific, but it's just sort of moving, shifting, shape, and not, not able to rest. It's like there's this, this excess of energy, and it's kind of, we're just sort of vibrating with it. Or sometimes, of course, it's quite, you know, we think, oh, I really need to relax, I need to calm down, I need to not be so agitated. Then, of course, maybe five or ten minutes later, actually, we do come down, we relax. We become really soft and peaceful and sleepy. And we find we're actually nodding off. And just, no matter how much effort we make, we can't seem to find any of that energy we had five minutes ago or ten minutes ago. And it's like these waves of energy, intensity or it seems deficit, sometimes move through us. And on top of all of that, what happens at times also is that we start thinking this isn't working this doesn't make sense I don't know how to do it I can't do it it's not for me it doesn't, doesn't work and a sense of doubt or confusion arising because we're somehow trying to make it happen in a way that isn't quite in accord with the practice or what is possible what we're asked to do is notice all of this sometimes it's, you know, it's, it's almost like it's right in our face saying, notice me, notice me. And we don't want to notice it, we want it not to be there. But just notice it. To be able to recognize, oh, this is the mind. When it's busy, excited with hope, anticipation, or, or oppressed with fear and anxiety, pressure, or restless, agitated, flat, dull, numb. Notice how all these different experiences can arise for us. Notice also those moments when we're actually able to be present. Wow. Sometimes it's like almost a, a magical gift. Great. It comes from nowhere. We were trying all day and then suddenly it happened. But we weren't doing anything different. Just suddenly some of it just clicks. We connect. We're able to be present. That happened. That is possible for us. And in those moments where it clicks, where it connects, where we actually feel we're here. In the moment before we start to think, wow, I'm here, I've got it, I've succeeded, and somehow try and take hold of that experience. But in the moment before that, I think something in us resonates. Even if it's just really a moment or two, something in our being resonates with what that is to be present, to be connected, to be in touch to not be looking somewhere else. It's not so much because we're with the breath, because we're actually in that moment, the force and the power of looking elsewhere has somehow dissolved or dropped away. 
and then we're just here, we just find ourselves, we've arrived without having gone anywhere. And yet these moments can seem for us not so frequent, not as frequent as we might wish. One of the reasons for that is that life is challenging. Life can be difficult at times. To acknowledge this is important. Again, it's not about being gloomy, saying, oh, my life is miserable, but actually acknowledging that while life can have remarkable sweetness at times, it can also have extreme challenges and difficulties. And this is part of what it means to be alive. We cannot have one without the other. And the Buddha, in his teaching, often spoke about the importance of acknowledging this. Acknowledging that we have a body. Having a body, it goes through the process of aging and ultimately to death. And this we cannot escape. And this is not easy to pass through this experience. Being alive, we have a heart. And our heart is touched at times by joy and sweetness and love. And at times by grief and sadness and pain. And there is no way that this could not be so. There's a, a way that I find useful to illustrate that. We sometimes think, particularly on this one, if, if my life happened the way it was supposed to, if my parents had got it together, if I had got it together, if my friends and family got it together, then actually there wouldn't be this experience of difficulty, of pain, of sadness, of suffering. But actually, that's not so. And the, the way I illustrate this, again, something I find useful myself to reflect on it, we will experience pain. Our heart at times will ache in this life. And if you're unconvinced of that, maybe you've had a fortunate life so far, wonderful, and may it continue. But if you love something in this life, one day you'll be parted from it, something or someone. And that parting will be painful. There's no other way. If you love something, you will be parted from it. And that will hurt. It's not wrong, it's not bad, it's just how it is. And if you don't love something or someone in this life, that will hurt. Don't think there are any other options. It's not to say that's all the time. It's not to say that that defines our world or our life. But it's like being able to see, ah, okay, this is part of how it is. <coughs> It's not because I did it wrong or because I'm making a terrible mistake or because I shouldn't really be here. This is the wrong world for me. We sometimes think, you know, oops, I've landed on the wrong planet. You know, this isn't really quite my people or my species or my thing, you know. Square peg in a round hole. And why is that? It's because we kind of rub up against the edges. We feel friction. We feel touch. We feel impacted. Not just our body and our heart, but our mind. Sometimes we are brought into contact with that which is difficult. We're separated from that which we like or care for. We don't get what we want. Have you noticed how hard that is to not get what you want? It's really hard. It's really hard to not get what we want. 
And you know, I think culturally we're becoming less and less able as a culture to actually really deal with that fact. We're getting better and better at getting what we want, but we're becoming more and more isolated in it. Because actually what I want is just a little bit different than what everybody else wants. Sometimes it's a lot different, but it's always a little bit different. And the only way to really have what we want is to live totally apart from everyone else. And we see more and more we live on our own or in smaller units of smaller family or less community or less connection because getting what we want means having to have it my way and if everyone's having it their own way then ultimately relationships start to become less connection starts to become less there's a real cost in demanding that we have it our way that's not to say we don't need to respect our needs and appropriately take care of what's really important for us but understanding that we don't always get what we want this is the basis of relationship action, I suspect. Um, it's also the relationship, the basis of actually shifting our approach to our life. <coughs> actually learning to open to the fact that there is difficulty, that there is challenge, there is limitation. And that sometimes it's inexplicable. There doesn't seem to be a good reason for it. It's not that it's like there's a reason why it should be like this for you. Your story is unique and particular to you. Just as mine is and so everyone else has. But the kind of the theme, the overlying theme of each of our stories is similar. Insofar as there is both this, these times of sweetness, of happiness, of joy that we refer to, and equally these times of difficulty, of challenge that we refer to and that we somehow feel we have to try and get it all into the first box all into the category of sweetness and happiness and somehow avoid completely the second that that's what life is about but actually in terms of coming home in terms of actually being at home. One essential condition for this is to open our heart to the difficult and to the challenging. To not judge or blame ourselves or the world for the fact that it is so. Because those judgments and that blame is really just a way of justifying or reinforcing our wish to push away, to avoid, to not meet that aspect of life. To open our heart, to accommodate that which is difficult. This is something we're learning right here. You may not think that's what you're doing, but in those moments when there's an ache in your body and you just notice it and can be there. Or when you find yourself reacting to it, thinking, I've got to get rid of this. And then seeing that reaction and just saying, I'll let it be. Making space for that reaction. When we see a thought in our mind that's painful to us, that we don't find ourselves flattered by, perhaps it's anger, or greed, or jealousy, conceit, and yet just seeing the thought, not needing to struggle with it, but just, ah, look at this, to actually meet our experience with care and with kindness. 
This is the way we begin to transform our inner environment. To open our heart to our life. Rather seek that life be different than it is. Demanding that it conform with our wishes in order for us to then be at home within it. Would it not make more sense that in fact and would it not in fact be more empowering for us, empowering to us, to actually take our relationship to life as the basis of what can be transformed. The way we meet our experience is actually what defines the quality of that experience, not what the experience is. So if we have something painful going on in our experience, whether it's the memory of some deep grief, whether it's anxiety about something difficult that we face, whether it's simple, good old discomfort, pain in our body. That experience in itself does not have the capacity to make us miserable, although we can get miserable about it and sometimes do. It does not have the capacity to, as it were, push us out of a sense of being at home. It is our reaction to it that says, I will not allow this to be here. I cannot accept it. I cannot open to this. It is that reaction and the, the push, the energy that it generates of pushing away that actually propels us out of a sense of presence, a sense of connection, a sense of being at home in our life and with our experience. <coughs> We cannot control the experiences. You've seen what your mind will do in just 45 minutes. Some of you are relating in the, the group this, this uh, afternoon how just seeing your mind and how like it's like, wow, you know, kind of just the wish to escape from it. Yet we can't. All conditions and circumstances outwardly that we may be able to influence are really of little significance compared to that fact. We cannot escape our mind. And yet, if we turn towards it, if we open to it, what would it be to be interested in our mind and our heart and our body? Which is what is happening when we pay attention to the breath. It's actually the breath is there, heart and mind expressed in the body. Our feeling life, our thinking life affects the breath and the breath affects them. When we have thoughts or feelings arising, sensations in our body, noticing them, opening to them, letting them be. This rather simple process is remarkably powerful. Not to underestimate the transforming capacity of being willing to simply sit steady in the face of one's life and invite what is possible from our own heart and being to open into this to open to this just this too just now sometimes it feels like it's too much or too hard we can't do it that usually means we're thinking about how long we have to do it for we only need to do it in this moment 
to be with it for days or weeks or lifetimes is beyond us. But we don't have to. We only ever need to be with something right now. Just here. We are here, it is here. And to meet it, see what is possible. Cultivating a sense of kindly interest in our experience and what's happening. Because as we actually gather and collect the mind through coming back again and again, as the heart actually begins to soften through coming into contact with those places that are a little harsh or hard in our being and yet staying present. And as we as we cultivate a quality of interest, and interest is really important here. It's not a kind of a dull or sort of resigned, I'm just sitting here being with it. It's really to be interested. Because this is your life. This is your life, and your life is where your home will be found, not somewhere else. But perhaps not in the way that you or we have imagined. So coming home is not about getting to somewhere that we are not, but arriving where we are. And yet this arrival seems to require of us a certain process of training, of learning and understanding the habits and tendencies gained over a lifetime or lifetimes it seems of leaving, of departing, of escaping, of running away from our life. Leaving home constantly. Training is a part of this process. They're coming back again and again. Letting go of the struggle to control our experience, to manipulate it, to fix it, to get it in a certain way. When we let go of that struggle, we suddenly find there is so much more space. But to do that we have to let go of our views and ideas about how things should be, about how the world should be, about how I should be, how you should be. So much pressure we place upon ourselves because we think we should be different than as we are. (coughs) Because we do not actually trust that ourselves as we are that this is actually okay as a place to be, as a place to begin and to conclude our journey. What would it mean to be present with our experience unconditionally, to make no demand, to not have any expectation, that things be other than as they are, and yet be really connected, really interested in what is this to be alive? What does it mean that we have this remarkable capacity that is conscious, that is awake, that is aware? That we can't grasp, we can't put our finger on it, we can't point to it. And yet, it's here with us, it's so close to us that we take it for granted, perhaps. And yet everything of our life is revealed through this. It's like we, we search, we seek for something without quite knowing what it is, but convinced that it is not there, where we are. 
And that conviction of self is the basis of our suffering. That not recognizing, not realizing the actual depth and truth of what it is to be. And the sense of dissatisfaction or suffering that we experience in life through that is because in the journey of our life where we do need to do so many things and appropriately we find ourselves constantly disappointed that the things of the world do not quite do it for us and yet that's not their job if we were to give up give up on seeking satisfaction in this way what would we do if we said my wish is not to depart simply that my wish is not to depart from my life because so easily it seems we abandon ourselves we abandon our life we live so disconnected and that disconnection is deeply grieving what is it to connect with just one moment who are we when we're simply present when we're not dwelling on a story of past or future or present who are we when there is simply this conscious recognition of life unfolding a breath being breathed, a sound being heard, a thought arising and passing in the mind. How is it that water finds its way to the ocean? How does it do that? Did we ever wonder? Of course, science will tell us it's gravity. But it doesn't really explain it. It just means that things seem to move downhill, in the case of water. There's something about the nature of water that it flows to the ocean. And there's something about the nature of life that it flows to its own source. There's something about the nature of being, of consciousness, that reveals itself to itself. And in our looking for it, we look so hard that we fail to see it. So much of practice is simply to understand that we are it seems addicted to a relentless seeking for something other to see that that seeking does not come to an end does not bring us where we seek to go and to release ourselves from that and this is actually our task, our practice, our work to release ourselves from the seeking 
from the habit, we could say, of leaving, escaping, abandoning our life. And as we release ourselves and begin to release ourselves from that habit, through becoming conscious of it, becoming aware and awake to it, and just connecting again and again, as we do so, we perhaps begin to sense we begin to feel, intuit we might say, a resonance that is not something nor yet nothing, a vibration of life we could say, in which we are already where we need to be and what we need to be. We simply need to realize what that is, to understand what this is. So much of which is based on feeling separate, feeling apart from others, ourselves, the world, in a way that is not actually the truth, but is based on the habit of relating and conceiving from that point of view. Coming home is to discover that we are part of life in a way that is much deeper and more profound than any appearance of our separateness. And to understand that in that, nonetheless, that which we call ourselves has its place completely and totally. That on that level and in that way, we can be at home in the world. And yet, there is a dimension of coming home which is not really so concerned with that sense of personal place in the world, but much more that dissolution of the separation between ourselves and the world, in which case it is not so much that we come home or arrive in our home. So we understand that what we most fundamentally are is home. And all that home represents for us. 